Um, how many have been coming out on Wednesday nights? Yeah, good group, good group. How many come, up for, come out for the food and stay for the rest? Primary, okay, yeah. Our feelings are only hurt for a minute, but um, no, we've had some great help, great help in the kitchen, great food, and uh, it's just some great teaching as well. It's real informal. We have our tables set up, and um, you know, a few weeks ago, we had Jonathan Anderson, the, he was licensed counselor, and then uh, he'll be coming back here in another week or so uh, with some of his uh, colleagues from his practice, but uh, one of the things he shared, and I want to begin today in this, this message today, is this, he used this phrase called ministry of presence. Ministry of Presence, and if you were in attendance there, hopefully you remember kind of what that was. If you weren't, I'm going to explain it a little bit. Um, you know, in, in our society today, we have a real issue and I think a struggle oftentimes being present in the moment. Right now, you know, some of you might be looking at your phones. Some of you have started the timer for me to let me know when I should be done. Um, thinking about where you're going to go to lunch, right? It's hard. Just keep looking at me, and I won't know it's you, all right? Just keep your eyes up here. Um, but, but a lot of us, our minds, right, they go to other, other places. Even when we're in conversation with people, oftentimes our minds are wandering to other things. Um, you know, maybe if, if you have a teenager or something, sometimes you can be having that conversation, and they're like, uh-huh, yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And, they, and you're trying to talk to them, and they're sitting there, and they're looking at their phone, their mind is somewhere else. And if you do, like me, you know, you take the phone and you smash it on the ground into a thousand pieces. But then you think about that and you stop in the mid, realizing you paid for that phone, right? So then you stop and have a, 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 a mature conversation uh, as you should. But, um, but it's about being in the moment, right? When we have conversation, when we're talking to people, it's being present in this ministry of presence, this idea of being there. And we all really need probably some work, if, if we're honest, to be better listeners, don't we? to be better listeners. Um, you know, part of what facilitates better listening, though, is to learn to ask more or better questions. Now, if you ever talk to somebody and you enjoy talking to them, most likely it's because they ask questions about you, right? They want to know about you. What, what does that convey? It says that they care about you. They want to know more about you. And so they're asking these questions instead of, and they spend more time asking these questions versus making statements. And one of the things Jonathan shared as well is he said that when he was first starting out, somebody that was kind of mentoring him, he said, here's five questions you need to know. And he said, you know, he's, well, first one is tell me what happened or, or what happened or what's wrong. And then the, la- the next four are what else, what else, what else, and what else. And what he was trying to get to is that, you know, as we listen to somebody and somebody shares something or somebody's talking to us, you know, they get to maybe an end or, or, you know, and, but there's more to it. They may not even realize it. And so you sit there and you kind of pull more things out of them, right? You say, what else? And they think about it for a minute, like, oh, well, this, this, and this. And, oh, what else? Tell me about that. And they go on and you find out deeper depth, you know, a deeper, is that right? Deeper depth? (laughs) Can I say that? Um, You go deeper and you find out much more about the person and and it's conveying that you care. And so, you know, with that kind of in mind and that light, when we go, you know, to Scripture, when we usually think of Jesus, we think of him as the person really who has all the answers, don't we? And, you know, in fact, it's, it's right to say that he does have the answers, in fact, that he is the answer, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But as you read through the Gospels, especially, and you see, you'll see pretty quickly that Jesus also, when he walked the earth, he had a lot of questions to go along with all of his answers, You see him oftentimes asking people a question. And, you know, when Jesus poses a question, however, let it be clear that it's never done because he doesn't know the answer to something, right? 
What he's trying to do is he's trying to engage with that person and he's trying to bring something out of that person. He's trying to get them to, to see something. He's trying to teach something in that moment. You know, in, in that, in that, with that conversation, with that question, he's, he's trying to get that person that he's speaking to to understand something. And that includes you and I today, right? And, you know, we've been talking about, as we started today, about, you know, Jonathan and, and his counseling, you know, and that's in counseling. If you've ever gone to a counselor, or if you've ever just talked to somebody who's close, that's, that's what they're doing. A lot of times they're asking these questions. Why? Because they're trying to pull out of us. They're probing, and, they're, and we begin to discover things that are in us, right, through that time that we're there all along. We just didn't see it, and that through their questions, it helps us arrive there. And so the questions Jesus asks, it gives us an opportunity to really think about what it is we genuinely believe. We can spout things off, but when, when Jesus asks questions and we read, read these questions in the Bible, you know, it brings us to that place of, of what is it that we truly believe? And do we believe in what we're saying? I, again, I remember the first time in the military, as, as many of you know, I worked on helicopters. The very first engine, turbine engine change I did on a helicopter, and, uh, you know, I was finished. It was pretty much, I did most of the work on it and stuff, and we, we get the helicopter out, set up, ready to go, and... And then the pilot turns to me and says, hey, um, why don't you jump on board and go fly with me? And I was a pretty good mechanic, and I was pretty confident, you know, in my work. But it, it kind of stops you in your tracks, and you're like, oh, so you want me to put my life <laughs> into this seat? And it was also a single-engine helicopter, just by the way, too. So there was one engine on that thing. It was, that was it. It was all or nothing. And, and so then you start to think, you know, did I, did I tighten that? right? Or did I install that the right way? Um, and so it, it sobers you, right? It, it takes you to a whole nother level. And I did fly and obviously I did survive. So in case you were wondering, um, but you know, I was excited in the moment. I just said yes, because it was my first opportunity ever being on a helicopter. And then as I was sitting down and he was starting it up and then that all those thoughts start going through your head. And, and so, but it does, it brings you to that place of, it sobers you very quickly, doesn't it? And it, you begin to think very genuinely and long about everything. And so, you know, that's, that's the idea. And with, with questions, and the, the, especially the questions that Jesus asks, it makes us really stop, doesn't it? They're much deeper than, than we might initially think. So today I want us to take just a, a, a few moments. Well, it's not going to be a few moments. I'm sorry. It's going to be a, a couple and then some uh, today. But we're going to look at two questions that Jesus presents, one of which might be just the, the absolute most important question that he has ever asked, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 16. And we're gonna begin in, in verse 13. So we'll read through this, and then, of course, we'll kind of come back and we'll unpack a little bit for ourselves and, and discover what God might have for us today. So beginning in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah and one, or, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for, Lord, just this morning, I thank you for these wonderful people here in person in the room and also those that are watching online. God, I pray that you truly would speak, Lord, through your word to us, to our hearts today. God, in such a way that um, our lives would truly be changed. God, I pray that these questions, Lord, that we're going to explore, Lord, would stir our hearts, would make us examine ourselves even and where we, we, we stand today. So, God, we just trust you with this service in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, so there's, there are these two questions posed in this passage of Scripture, two very, very important questions. The first one was, who do they say that I am, right? The infamous they, those, them, those people, right, outside of here. Who do they say that I am? And then the second question is, who do you say that I am? Now, to, to give a little bit of a setting here, again, this, this is happening in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and this was very far to the north of Jerusalem, and it, it was away from the hustle and bustle of the city. It was, it was, it was quite a ways north, and here is Jesus with the disciples, and um, again, that region, that Caesarea Philippi, Herod the Great, if you remember, he's the one that tried to kill all the babies when Jesus was born, so not a, a good guy at all. He had offspring, he had, he had sons, and one of those sons again, was named Herod uh, Philip, Herod Philip, or Philip the Tetrarch, if you've heard of those names in Scripture before. And so, um, you know, Philip here, he decided to uh, name this, or create this place, create this town, if you will. And so he names it, and so the first part, the Caesarea, it's named after Caesar Augustus, right? Caesarea, Caesar, those are the same words right there, Caesarea. And, and again, that's, that's the first part, because he wanted to show, pay homage to Caesar, of course. And then the second part, you know, as he went through the list of names and people who he should name the second half from, um, he landed on himself, right? Because he thought he was an amazing person, and so he's like, let me name this town after me. All right, so there was, there was definitely no um, lack of self-confidence or pride in his life. He was uh, this, this person. And, you know, in that time, too, emperors, they often viewed themselves as a form of deity, right? If you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the furnace, right, in Nebuchadnezzar, remember he built a statue of what? Himself, right? Like, if he's not good enough, let me build this huge statue, nine stories tall or whatever, so that you can do what? So the people could bow down and worship him. And so they often saw themselves as a deity to be worshipped. And, and if you didn't choose to worship the emperor like a god, guess what would happen to you? Yeah, you'd be given some flowers and a really nice house. And no, you would die. They would kill you. So there's your options, right? Either you kind of go along with this thing and you, you bow and you worship me or you die if you don't. And, you know, this was the, what was set before the people. And, you know, so you had this, this sort of uh, this emperor uh, worship, but then you also had these false gods, these, these pagan gods that, that also people would worship at that time as well. 
And so it was kind of this free-for-all, you know, worship whatever, worship the emperor, worship this god, that god. And so it was just a very, um, it was a difficult kind of, you know, setting, if you would. But it's, it's with this setting in the background that Jesus is now presenting these questions, right? These questions get a little more irrelevant really quick, don't they? Because with all of this out there, it's like, who do you say that I am? Or who do they say that I am? You could be any one of, is it just one of the gods? Is it one of, you know, whatever? And so there, there's, there's really a lot of uh, meat to this question. And so, you know, this, the disciples, remember, they had left everything to follow Jesus, right? This, this, this guy that was walking along for some of them on the shore, and they literally walked off their fishing boats and said, I'm going with this guy, right? And they, they left everything. And if you remember in Scripture where it talks about the rich young ruler and what was his problem, he wanted to go and sell all of his possessions first, right, and then follow Jesus. But Jesus is like, no, either you come now or, or, or don't. Because Jesus was looking for sold out, for committed you know, men to follow him as his disciples. And again, there was no half-hearted commitment with this. To follow Christ was to leave everything and to follow him. And so that is where we find ourselves, that is where we find ourselves now in, in scriptures. After a few years, now the disciples had been following, walking with Jesus, witnessing miracles, hearing him teach. And so they knew Jesus quite well. And, you know, he's now asking this question. And I don't know about you, but I might get a little offended initially, right? Like, you know, who do you say, like, I wouldn't call Jesus dude, but... You know, dude, if I've been walking and living with you every day for almost three years, you know, why are you, why are you asking? I can, I can understand the them, but the, the, the who do I, it's kind of a, a little bit offensive, if you will. But, but let's, let's explore a little further. And let's, so let's look at this first question that he asks. And he's, he's like, who do they say the Son of Man is? Right? The Son of Man is, of course, from the Old Testament, it's a title that Jesus often referred to himself as, the Son of Man. And again, this is this question of who do they say the Son of Man is? And in response, this list is given. And, and really, it's, it's pretty good. It's not horrible. It's, it's good in the sense of the names being mentioned, right? So they say John the Baptist, right? John was great, you know, forerunner for Christ. And, you know, it's like, okay, John the Baptist. They thought maybe he was like a reincarnation of John the Baptist. They had Elijah, Jeremiah, you know, prophets of the old maybe coming back. And, you know, they had these thoughts that maybe this is how it's going to shake out, you know, as, as, as these guys would come back. And, you know, one thing that we can see from the, the array of responses, uh, you know, is that there was not a cut and dry uh, consensus of who Jesus was and how the prophecies were to be fulfilled, right? You know, we, again, we can look in scripture and we get to highlight those specific passages and, and we get to see kind of all play out in front of us with a flip of a few pages. But remember, you know, a lot of people, depending on how they were taught or where they had come from, you know, they heard about maybe this Messiah or they, they studied it and all of them were kind of trying to figure out how it's gonna work out, you know? It's kind of like, you know, the return of Christ. And I've mentioned this before, you know, the book that came out, you know, the 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988, you know, as people try to, you know, get ahead of the prophecy and be ahead. And, well, we're all here. Jesus didn't come back. And then the guy came out with, like, the sequel, like, 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 89. We'll just keep going until we get it right. You know, people, they just, we try to figure things out in advance. And so, again, not everybody was, had a consensus of what it was all going to look like, how it was going to be fulfilled. And even Peter, 
which we're going to find out here shortly in, in, towards the end of the message today, even Peter wasn't quite sure because uh, of some of the, the things that he says. You know, and here's Peter who'd walked with Jesus. And so, you know, he, in this moment, we're going to find out he gets it right. But here, not far after, he, he misses it a little bit. And so, you know, we can see then, you know, that a lot of nice things were being said about Jesus and the same still goes today. Oftentimes, you know, you can bring up Jesus and most people will answer this or that or, you know, there's not typically a lot of hostility. There might be some disagreements, but, you know, there's some different things that are, are said. But when you ask somebody about Jesus, most people will typically say something nice, Right. figure? I don't know. <laughs> I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us? He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't, I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed, like I'm not gonna say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was, you know, we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and he, to me, is the, like, symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that, like, constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like, religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. So everyone typically has an opinion about Jesus, even Birdman. You know, that if David Copperfield had been alive in Jesus' time, that he would be Jesus, right? There was some, it was a pretty broad range. Can I just say that? Do we all agree that it was a pretty broad range of responses of, of, of who Jesus was and who people think that, that Jesus was when he walked the earth? And here's the deal. Everyone typically has an opinion of Jesus. And oftentimes what they say is good. Right? A lot of those things were not bad things to say about Jesus, were they? But let me say this. <laughs> While what they say is good, the question is, is it right? Because not every good thing is the right thing. You know, Jesus can be compared to, again, a, a, a Muhammad or, or Gandhi, you know, this other prophets. Is that right? No, <laughs> it's not. And so, you know, here Jesus is, again, he's opposing this question, what's the word on the street? What is it that people are saying about me and who I am? And they're coming back with all these, these answers, and, and they're good things, and they're even within the Jewish faith, if you will, but they're not the right answer, are they? Because good is not always right. And here Jesus is not looking for flattery, nor does he need it. 
Because it doesn't really matter to Jesus what they think. It's not going to change who he is, is it? The fact is Jesus is who he says he is. And so Jesus is looking for more from people. He's looking for them to recognize who he really is. Which then leads us to his second question. And the second question, as you may have caught, is this, is who do you say that I am? Those people out there, yes, I love them and I care about them, but I don't care as much about what they think about me or what they say about me as what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter here answers, and he, you know, again, Peter always swinging for the fences and always missing half the time, you know, but here he knocks it out of the park and he says, again, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I don't think that this just came from his mind or his head or just off the tip of his tongue. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, which Jesus replies to, blessed. Familiar, right? Makarios. Remember that? Blessed, same word. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For what? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Again, again, just pause there for a minute. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What does that mean? That means that we can go to the history books. There's, there's little at left that most people don't, um, they, they, everybody, almost everybody believes that there was a historical figure of Jesus. It's pretty simple to find that out looking at historical documents. So that's not the question. People can look at that. They could even read the scripture, right? And have it here. But again, what Jesus responds is, it's not flesh and blood. It's that the Father in heaven, it's that, that here Peter has caught it, right? You might want to call it the aha moment. The, the light went on. <laughs> it's like, you, you're, <laughs> you're, you're the one. You're the one we've been talking about. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And here, as, as Jesus responds to Peter and acknowledges and affirms what he has said, he tells him that, that, that he will build his church. And again, this word is ecclesia, and it's translated church. This is the very first time this shows up in all scripture. This is where it happens. This is where it begins. And now, again, sometimes it's mistaken about this, this, this statement of, of Peter and, and building the church on this rock, and his name means rock. It's not what Jesus was getting at. He's not saying that Peter or Petros, which means rock, is not where he's building his church. Jesus, again, who is the cornerstone, right? The rock of ages, the stone the builders rejected. He is the rock of salvation. He is the one that the church will be built on. But upon looking at this and studying it, I think there's a further nuance to be taken note of here as well. And as I said, as Peter has this moment where the light bulb goes on and what Jesus is trying to get at, and it's this. Jesus is not just stating the fact that he's the rock that the church would be built on. There's no question about that. It doesn't matter what people believe. But it's the fact that Peter has finally recognized him as the Christ and as the son of the living God. Beyond just here. Has anybody ever heard of the, the phrase, a, a game of inches? Anybody ever heard that before? And that can really apply to almost every sport, right? You know, if you're a baseball player and your bat swings through a couple inches high, you're going to miss that ball. 
You know, if you're a basketball player and you shoot the, the ball and it's an inch or two off, it's going to bounce off the hoop and not go in. If you're a golfer, an inch from the cup is still missing, right? In football, not getting across that, that marker, that yard line, you can be short an inch and, and it's a turnover on downs. And so we see this, it's, it's game of inches, this, this phrase. But I want to pr- uh, put to you today this, another use of it, that there's another use of the game of inches, and that's this. It's the distance from here to here. From here to here. And I believe here in this moment that Jesus is pointing out to Peter that, that it is on the revelation. And that's, that's what he's, he's talking about. We're, I'm going to build my church on the revelation that people have of who I am. Because my, my hope for for most, if not all of you in this room today, is that you've had that revelation of who Jesus Christ truly is. And that is how he's building his church. Again, he does not change. He is the constant and he is the cornerstone. But it's only as we have this revelation of who he is that his church will be built. Our response to this second question of who do you Say that I am. It's saying that you are committed to Jesus above everything. And I come across people and I talk to people at times who are, who are maybe struggling with their faith. And that, that the problem is, is, is whatever may come, and it doesn't mean that it's simple. But it means that at the end of the day, I will lay down everything for the cause of Christ. I will, I will step away. I will, you know, Jesus even tells us, even whether it's family, government, even ourselves, right? To lay down our comfort. To lay down what we want to do. Not my will, but yours be done. It's a surrender. And it only comes, again, if we have that revelation. Why? Because if it's just here, it's easy just to go along and, and say, no, I'm just going to do what I want to do. But Jesus is calling us to something greater. Jesus is calling us to see him not just, again, with what's in our mind, but hear what's in our heart. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was sent by God, the Father, to uh, to earth as both fully God and fully man. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So how many gods are there? How many mediators are there? There's one way, right? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So the statement of, you know, he was a prophet, right? No, he was more than that. You know, one thing I I want to encourage you, and, and then if I can just take a little sidestep for a moment, is... You know, after living in the Middle East for almost a decade, I, you know, have, have close friends who are, who are there, and, and this is their holy month of Ramadan. And, you know, the amazing thing, and it just shows how amazing and great our God is, is, is we oftentimes as a church there would pray for people during this time. Why? Because they are genuinely seeking God during this time. And, you know, we, if we're not careful, we're like, well, they're, just, they're, they're seeking this false God. There are some genuine people who are genuinely seeking the creator of this universe. Do you understand that? They've been taught this way or that way and maybe gotten it wrong. And this is what happens is when there is a genuineness in their heart to find their creator, 
And maybe you've heard this. They, there are many Muslims all around the world that are having visions of Jesus. Of, of, there was one lady that, that I had the privilege to work with who said, you know, there's these, these, I had this vision of these 12 men. What does that mean? What's, what's this? And then this one that like, was like shining like the, the sun, you know, and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and I got to sit with her, you know, and, and, and unpack this. You know, here's the deal. God loves people enough that he's going to get to them, and he's going to show them this is, this is what you need. I'm the one who created you. For those who are genuinely seeking the truth. If you seek the truth, you will find it. <laughs> but some people don't. Some people just want to stay in their religion. Some people just want to stay deceived, and that's, you know, that's, that's what they're going to get. But if you're truly seeking God, you will find him. So again, the one mediator between God and men and the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus, again, it's called the hyperstatic union. Fully God, fully man, walked the earth. He was also called the son of God. John 1.14, it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Right? And again, as we said, you know, he is God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't say that it was a God. It says the Word was God. That's what it says. Go back and study it. It's there. And that, that means that Jesus is Jehovah, Jehovah, the Savior, the same name that was given to God, that God carried himself. That was what Jesus carried. He walked again on earth. That is what Messiah be, means, right? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. If Jesus was not God, then why would he be called Emmanuel? He walked the earth in the flesh with us. Why? Because if anyone else did that, that would mean somebody besides any one of us could, could save ourselves, right? But that's not what God's plan was. Matthew 1, verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was the promised Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God. And he's still asking that question to you and to me today. Who do you say that I am? Do you know it here, or has it gotten to here? Now let's read on just a few more verses and see um, how quickly Peter can <laughs> go from hitting home runs to swinging and missing again. Beginning in verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Again, so he begins to present what's going to happen, right? After these, all these years of following him, the disciples are now being brought in. Here's, here's the plan that's being laid out for my life. And then Peter, <laughs> this guy. So again, just before, here he is. You know, you are the son of God. You are the promised one. You're the Messiah. He gets it. He sees it. He's even called blessed, right? He knows it. And then he's like, hey, Jesus, come here for a minute. I need to talk to you. And he's what, what are you doing, right? You got to love Peter because <laughs> I think he's more like us than we care to admit. You know, how quickly we forget. But here Peter pulls Jesus to the side and he began to rebuke him. 
Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> After seeing Jesus walk on water, you know, cast out demons, you know, feed 5,000 people from a, a you know, Lunchable, it's, I, I just don't, I don't know that I would rebuke him. <laughs> but here's Peter. And he goes on and he's saying, he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned, Jesus turned and says to Peter, and again, in the most loving way, I'm sure, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. <laughs> again, from blessed are you to you're Satan, get back, you're hindering what I'm trying to get done here, right? And he goes on, he says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter, you've gone from seeing, you know, something much deeper from this place to, to back to seeing just with your eyes and what you see in the flesh and really what you want. Because, of course, Peter, you know, he was genuine, right? Genuinely wrong, but he was genuine. And he just didn't want to see Jesus go through this. He didn't want to lose Jesus. And so, you know, he's saying these things, but, but again, he's not seeing it, the scope of it. And even Jesus, is, he said earlier there, he said, you know, uh, and be killed and on the third day be raised. If nothing else, you know, Peter could be like, okay, well, we'll be three days down without you and then you're going to be back and we'll roll along, you know. But Peter's missing it because he's no longer seeing again with the eyes of his heart. He's seeing with just his eyes what he wants to see what he thinks is right. And oh, how many times <laughs> do we go through situations or we're going through a difficult season or things aren't going the way that we thought or planned and we kind of want to pull Jesus aside, don't we? Come here, let me talk to you for a minute. Jesus, you know, I don't think this is right. And Jesus, you know, I don't know if he's called any of you, you know, to tell you to get behind me, Satan, or rebuked you. But we need to understand because so many times we can disconnect and not see the plan, right? And at that point, we have to just surrender and say, God, you know what's best. Not my will, but yours be done. So as we prepare to, to close today, and, and we're going to take communion together here in a few moments, I don't want us to just skip past this question because I believe it's a question that Jesus is, is looking at us today, Right? Jesus is asking us, and I want you just to picture in your mind Jesus sitting across from you and asking that question to you. If you had been Peter, if you had been one of the disciples, and he asked you that question, who do you say that I am today? Am I everything to you? Am I all to you? Am I my master? Am I Messiah? Am I Savior? Or am I the genie in the bottle that you just bring out when you need something or when life gets hard and, and you need a friend? Am I somebody that you pursue with everything that's within in you? Or am I, somebody, am I a God of convenience? How would you answer that question today? And what would, be your, what would be his response when you answered? Would he call you blessed? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? And if we pause here a minute, just thinking about what would we say? I think most of us in this room, but most of us right now are probably like, oh yeah, I know what I would say. I would say exactly what Peter said. 
But again, it wasn't what Peter said. It's, it's what he saw and, and where he said it from. He got it. He recognized who Jesus was. Who is Jesus to you today? Who do you say that I am? Throughout the scriptures, there was always a response to Jesus. Some people hated him. Some people feared him. Some people loved him. Some people followed him. There's always a response. You don't ever see this like ho-hum response, do you? Like, oh yeah, whatever, Jesus, okay. <laughs> there was a response of some kind. You know, I can say all these things to you today. I can read from the scripture. I can say these things. You know, we've even seen where, where some of these, these things that we're talking about are in the Bible today. But until it goes from head to heart, it will not sustain us. Why do we see so, you know, believers or people that profess as being Christians falling away left and right today? Why do we see that? It's because it never went from here to here. There was never a genuineness. There was never, they, they couldn't have answered. They could have answered with the head knowledge of who Jesus is, but not the understanding and the, and the revelation of who Jesus is. I close today with a, a quote from Polycarp of, of Smyrna. And he was brought in before the Roman magistrate and was asked to recant his loyalty to Christ. All right? We talked about these pagan gods and uh, you know, pagan practices, and here is this man brought in because he would not bow down. He would not renounce his faith in Jesus. And this is what he says, and it's, 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 it's chilling and sobering. He says this in response to them. He says, 86 years, 86 years I have served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And their response was to bind him up, take him outside, and they set him on fire. And just to be sure that he was dead, they, they went ahead and they took knives and they shoved into his side to make sure that he was, he was dead completely. And see, you don't answer that way. You don't stand in the face of that kind of uh, persecution just knowing Jesus here, do you? Because <laughs> real quick, you'll be like, nope, I don't know the, know the guy. But to stand in the face of that, no matter what might come, Polycarp is an example of someone who knew Jesus, who had revelation of who Jesus is and stayed the course, amen? And that's my prayer for each of us today, is that we would know Jesus for who he is.